You are listening to a Yodakin podcast. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us on the Yodakin podcast again. Um as some of you might be aware but for those who are joining us for the first time this is a podcast where we talk to authors um who publish with the independent publishing house based in new delhi called yoda press which is why it is called the yoda kin podcast we also sometimes listen to our authors read although mostly it's conversations with our authors freewheeling chats where we talk about um how the books came to be um i'm really happy today uh, to have a very very interesting author with us for the podcast for our new book which is called the women's war a female soldier's account of her time in afghanistan the author is anne catherine wibnitsky who is a an award winning and best selling danish author hi anne catherine it's so good to have you here hello peter really nice to be talking to you again yes and um particularly wonderful for me because i met anne catherine i think a little over a year ago at a party here in new delhi at i can't remember whether it was the italian cultural center perhaps it was yes, it was a soiree following a literature event and um and anne catherine and i got uh, got talking about her time in afghanistan and she talked about this book which was of course out in danish and i thought it would make a marvelous marvelous uh, translation project and um of course she had been particularly enterprising and she had the book translated already so what remained to be done really was to publish the edition here in south asia and now we have the book out so congratulations and kathrin thank you very much thank you so much and i'm really happy about it and now that this book is available across the world i hope it finds many many more interested readers it's a really intriguing and engaging account because you know how rare it is to sort of talk about women uh, read about women uh, and their experience of war and yes. this book is really uh, about you know the the conflation of two entirely at times antithetical ideas that of sisterhood and war which is isn't it which is such an intriguing thing about this book and just for the listeners of course the book records and Catherine's time in in Helmand province in Afghanistan uh, between the years 2007 and 2009 Yes. where she built some incredible friendships with afghan women and together they they set off a series of interesting very bold enterprises in the sense that they were they, they you might say that they were couched in things that that were homegrown but considering the sort of odds that the women were up against the enterprises were really bold and of course then the, there is the story of the larger sisterhood and kathleen have i described it well do you want to add to it tell us a little more tell our listeners a little more about the book um i think that of course not many soldiers 
are writers, so therefore our stories are not heard very often. And even fewer are women, so not many women are soldiers. And, and at the time when I went to Afghanistan, um, I deployed because um, I asked to go to Afghanistan. I had no idea that being a woman would have such an impact. I had no idea that I would have a chance to meet Afghan women. Um, and it was, it was just so wonderful to meet these Afghan women, to start talking and to find out that even though we are quite different, um, we are also very alike in so many ways. I mean, women in Afghanistan had to wear burqas. I had to wear a uniform. We had little small things that we just, it made us laugh, you know. Female soldiers would, um, we would often have a nail polish on our toenails in the combat boots, just to remind ourselves we're still women. And, uh, and the Afghan women always had some kind of very you know, worn and torn, but still stylish shoes because you could see the shoes underneath the burqa. So right there, you have a small connection. Um, both had to wear their kind of uniform. Right. We had our connections. Yeah, that, well, there's a lot to tell about the book and it was a wonderful time out there, but I'm guessing you, you have some questions and I'll try to follow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wanted to really start with where it all began and Catherine, when you when you got there, I mean, the first chapter itself sort of grabs one's attention, right? Because it's it's a high tension chapter and you were sort of thrown into the deep end, weren't you? Yes, I mean, at the time we, we all knew it was very, very dangerous. Um, we lost in on an average uh, a danish soldier per month in the fightings out there my boss in the army was against sending me as a woman because um, everybody were kind of nervous what will happen when we get a female soldier killed um, my job was to go out on patrols and perhaps if possible connect with some afghan women but our expectations were not very high because the expectation was that, well, they are clad in burqas and they're not allowed to say anything and they have probably very little influence. Um, so I started out on regular ground patrols um, in Lashkagar and in the areas around it. Lashkagar is the, the capital of the province of Helmand. And so I started out driving out on long range patrols with a lot of British and Danish soldiers um, uh, armed to the teeth, basically, and and prepared to run into the Taliban. But even during these patrols, I I saw women, I encountered women, and I quickly discovered that they were very curious because they could see me. They could see a female soldier with a ponytail and with a little bit of lipstick on, and, and they were just amazed at the whole concept. Of course, I had to use an interpreter, but there's still a lot of communication that goes on with just eyes and smiles. And so that was the first little glimpse of maybe I have a bigger task here. And um, that's how it all began. Yeah. And, and then, of course, I mean, in this very, very, you know, obviously male bastion of... Uh, of the headquarters where you were, 
there was another kind of sisterhood that, that developed with your comrades, isn't it? With your fellow soldiers, mm. fellow female soldiers. True. Um, which is which forms another lovely part of the book. Yeah, I, I was fortunate to um, share a room with three British female soldiers. Some of them had deployed many times before. Afghanistan was my very first tour, so I had very little experience. And right. um, that sisterhood basically saved my life in many different ways because... Tell us, how, tell us about that. How, how do you survive in, in, a, in a headquarter where you've crammed in uh, too many people on too little space and uh, there are so many men and life is kind of harsh. Um, so that, that room that we shared became um, a, a wonderful space for me where I could just let my hair down and say, you know, I've had this terrible encounter with my boss or with a British, you know, captain or whatever. And, and there are times when you're so frustrated and maybe, I mean, I at least had, um, I, I very easily cry, um, and that is not uh, a good thing when you're in the army. <laughs> so that can really scare some men off, and, and it can be yeah. very embarrassing for yourself. And, and I was just so fortunate to meet these three girls, and one worked very much with intelligence, intelligence gathering. One worked... Right. Uh, dis uh, bomb disposal so how, how do you take care of suicide bombers and how do you take care of their suicide bomb vests, vests and, and what do you do with all that uh, one worked in press and and we just we connected and they made my life a lot easier and they were so funny um, and they helped me a lot so that's that makes up part of the book it, it simply had to that <laughs> it's a delightful part of the book Yes, friendship that you have. it is because there are some very harsh realities that you have to deal with and and they just um they put a smile on my face um, most days even when it was very dark and and sinister at times yeah have you managed to stay in touch with any of them yes i have um one of them okay. actually ended up working in copenhagen as a military attache uh, some years later so we have stayed in touch and and they are all well and uh, and doing well um, and they have left the army though as i have and um and catherine tell us tell the listeners a little bit about what your brief was when you were in in Giresh, in uh Lashkaga. Okay, so uh, we weren't quite sure if it would, would be possible for me to, to start some work with Afghan women, but that turned out to be possible. So what I, what I had to do, or what the, the job that I had, was to try and connect with Afghan women and then, if possible, uh, to start up little projects with these women so that they could make some money for themselves. Um, and the thought behind it was, if women gain some money, they gain influence in their families, and then there's a larger chance that the children will go to school, because that's, that's basically the experience also from Africa, that women tend to think about future and the future of their children. Whereas, um, and I, I don't mean to be rude, but... Um, experience from Africa tells us that um, 
when men get money in their hands, they either buy a car or they buy beer or they buy whatever. They don't think as, quite as far as head, ahead. So investing right. in the web is a, is a really good thing to do. And mm -hmm. it, that may sound easy, but it's just not very easy to do in a country like Afghanistan that is very male dominated. So uh, the way it worked out was that Fortunately, a British female interpreter had um, connected with some Afghan women. They were the ones to, to contact her. She'd met them on a patrol and they walked up to her and, and put a piece of paper in her hand. And that piece of paper was a telephone number. So that's how the very first connection came about. Um, I took over these two women, talking to them. Fatima and Gulalay from Gereshk and we right. met in uh, in Lashkagar for the very first time shortly after I had arrived and I did not know what to expect but um, one of them was the daughter of a very famous mullah and she was she still is incredibly strong and with political ambition and she just wanted to go ahead um, the other one um, is a widow and she trained as a midwife so helping children being born um, and dealing also with women's diseases and so on and she was almost looked upon as a doctor within her her town Gereshk um, a very soft-spoken mild and very very warm woman so I met with these two and and then basically the friendship came first and then the projects came afterwards and we began with a small project, such as giving um, the women 10 hens each. And then these hens or chickens would lay egg. And that, in, you can imagine, in a very poor area where there's been war for a lot, long time, then just having chicken that will give you some eggs each day, yeah. that is actually a good supplement for your, for your household. So a small project, but one that had an impact. And we, we moved on from there. Um, for a while, I was I was bashed about or no talked talked down to by some of my male colleagues who said, you know, are you meeting with the women again? And are you this is the chicken woman and stuff like that. <laughs> but one thing that happened simultaneously was that the women quickly realized that the soldiers were there to help beat Taliban back. And so um, they supported us with intelligence. They uh, informed us about where Taliban leaders were and uh, where Taliban fighters had been hiding and so on. And, and that was unexpected for us that we, it seemed like we had, a, you know, um, hidden soldiers out there in Afghanistan, women who were really willing to to help us with information that was not really easily available. Um, right. There, there's this, uh, I think you're also referring to, I mean, I was just thinking as you were speaking about this, I was thinking about the bit uh, where after the suicide bombers um, strike in Gereshk a couple of times, I yeah. think one of the women came to meet you. Yes. Uh, give you intelligence. Yes, she came, she rang me with a, a weird question whether we could meet about some project or something. And I thought this, this is, 
there's something else here. And she came in and she just unloaded a lot of information on me um, with because she had been meeting other women and she had picked up where had this suicide bomber been staying. Um, she had lots of information even about how the suicide bomber's mother had been calling a few days uh, beforehand trying to talk her son out of not um, becoming a suicide bomber. Um, so. So we gathered a lot of uh, really valuable information that helped us um, in in the further process. Um, yeah. And and in so, in a strange way, even though that wasn't your your um, you know work there, I mean, you you yes, became it, this. It was not my task to gather intelligence. It, it yeah, made, but it but you became the strategic sort of link almost, isn't it? Because. Uh, the people back in the headquarters started taking the information that you were bringing from these women quite seriously. Yes. The, um, yes, it came to a point where whenever I entered the headquarters, it was like people were looking, okay, what's coming now? Because... And the way you understood, the way you understood it was, as you're saying, that the women were, were really quite angry with the Taliban, right? Oh, yes. I mean, if you... Think about it, who lose, who stands to lose the most if the Taliban gain control? Well, it's definitely the women because the men can let their beard grow longer and they can sort of su survive within these very rigid rules. But women in Afghanistan have had a history of actually working and of doing things. Um, they, quite many women were school teachers, they worked in the hospitals, but the Taliban banned them from all of that. And they even banned um, women doctors. At the same time, they would not allow women to be seen by male doctors. So all of a sudden, you're really stuck in a situation where you've got nothing going for you. So the, the women wanted very, very strongly to get rid of the Taliban. And I think that's why they realized that Danish, a female Danish soldier might be the link to start trying to. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and of course, um, the other thing that that became a very important part of your time there is planning the, the Shura. You had two such mm -hmm. women's Shura there as far as I remember from the book. Tell us yeah. about that, because that was that gave rise to to immense and fairly radical for that space uh, possibilities, isn't it? Yes. The, the Shuras, I, but when I arrived, I had no idea what the Shura was. I, I didn't know the word because we don't use that in, in Denmark at all. Yeah. But they, we, what it was, we, we would gather women and they would get the chance of knowing one another and also talking about their problems, um, giving voice to some concerns that they would not otherwise have have come forward with um so something so, something like a women's town hall yes um exactly um and it became a very recognized institution where we could also take the concerns of the women to um to the mayor or to to larger meetings for instance, at one point we had um, a very good British advisor who has worked all over the world with um, justice systems in, in, 
states and countries where there is practically no justice. And he came to me and asked if I could gather the women so that he could find out what problems do the women have with the justice system, with the, the, the legal system. And right. at that time I had met with the women so many times that I was quite confident and immediately said, no problem, Mr. Fraser, we will just um, call for a meeting, preferably on a Thursday, because then the women will tell their husbands that they have to go to the to the city bath and prepare for Friday, <laughs> which is something they yeah. often do when they not want yeah. their, their husbands to know. But when I called the women and said, um, I want a meeting, they said, sure, we'll come and meet you. Uh, what is the meeting about? And I said, um, the justice system, how you feel about it and the problems there. And they just went silent and really said, this <laughs> of course. It doesn't work and it has never worked. But in the end, we we did meet up. Um, and we I remember we held this meeting in a place called Bost Hotel. And, and sometimes the places right. are important because this is where the men would have their important meetings. So having the meeting in Bost Hotel was, okay, this is something important. It made the women feel this is something important. And... Hmm. We can, of course, not tell the Afghan people how they should run their country or what kind of a legal system they should have. Um, that is for them to decide, but we can ask questions. Mm. So we asked how they felt about the justice, justice system. And, and I remember vividly <laughs> how uh, they said it, it, this, it doesn't work at all. It's terrible. And one of them said it was actually, it was better during the Taliban because we knew, you know, who got punished and there was no theft and stuff like that. And the question right. for us was, well, do you want the Taliban to come back? Hmm. And they thought, but how do you go from a, a very uh, not, still not functioning democracy to a, a democracy where you have rulers and judges that are fair. Um, I, one of the questions I asked, what is the biggest problem for you as women? And immediately, immediately, there was a woman who said, the biggest problem is that we as women make so little money because we cannot pay the judges for a fair decision. So they could not drive their way to the decision that they wanted, whereas the men made more money. Yes, so they fair enough. Fair enough. That's the system. Then that's the system. Yeah. That's the so, so starting that conversation was incredibly important. And you have to understand that this is a longer process. You cannot just have one meeting and then everything is decided. It's, it's a longer process. But one of the things that came from this meeting was we began to educate the women in what does the Afghan law say? Say. What right. does it say about, um, for instance, when can young girls be married and uh, how are legal processes? What are your duties? What are your rights in your country? What does the law say about you as women? Um, and so they started learning in what the law actually says instead of just accepting what some men told them the law said. 
there's a huge difference sometimes. Mm. And so this was mm. a starting point and the women started little groups where they taught other women, what does the law say? Um, and that was so right. very important, especially when it comes to so girls being married off at a managing to, age. Yeah. Right, managing to set up some sort of a domino effect of, yes. of making them think right for themselves. Yes. Right, excellent. I, I, of course, in the middle of all the, you know, the hard work and the sense of accomplishment because the odd, there were such terrible odds uh, that one had to handle. Um, there were also some very sad moments, right? I mean, you yes. talk about uh, the moment when this uh, young Danish soldier died uh, yeah. with whom you'd, had, you'd you know, gone out and had a coffee or a cup of tea just yes. uh, the yes. week before. Um, yeah. There's also this point, there is also Nargis's story. Uh, yes. tell, us, tell us about these uh, really, you know, difficult moments in your time there. Yeah, I, I think um, as a background, you know, I, I live in a very safe country where everything has been working smoothly for a long time. Uh, I mean, even the Corona crisis, we tend to handle it very well here in Denmark. So, so yeah. being in a country where people can be shot is um, not common for Danes, uh, but that's a fact when you go to a war. Uh, and of course it was, it was devastating for emotions, for my emotions, when we had the first soldiers killed, um, especially when it's someone you know. But the very um, weird thing is of course also you're you're in a military base you work from there and all your military comrades understand that you feel that loss because they feel it too and it's it's hard when it's a soldier that you've known quite well um but at the same time and i don't know if if this makes sense when i say it but i was never um I was never as devastated by a soldier's death as I would have been back in Denmark if someone died from, say, uh, cancer at a very young age or got a drive a, a hit in, in traffic and died. Because in a weird way, when you're out there and you you're working really hard, but you also see that what you do makes sense and it does improve the living standards for the people out there then in a way it makes sense even though it's dangerous and even though at times your comrades are killed at least for me it, it, it was um it feels less i don't know uh, the words uh, it feels less stupid or, or insignificant when someone does it does it make sense? Um, it's still hard. Yes, absolutely. But, but I mean, you're out there and you're doing something, and there, and there is an effect of what you're doing. You're actually moving somewhere, <laughs> and things are slowly getting yeah. better. And and so, um, it's hard, but you you learn to deal with it. However, um, yeah. in the case of Nargis, uh, who was a very young, mm -hmm. very tall woman, tall Afghan woman that I worked a lot. with, 
um, a very strong, wonderful woman. She was pregnant. Um, and every time she would come and, and meet me, she was always hungry and always <laughs> trying to mm. you know, sneak away some cake from the table and put it in her pockets because she was constantly <laughs> hungry being pregnant, of course. She was a very brave woman who thought up some really good projects and, and moved um, forward quite fast. Uh, she lived in a in a town outside of Goresh and the village elders supported her in her work. But if maybe it's not quite I'm not quite sure what exactly happened. But but maybe not all the men supported her. Um, what she, one day she was in a street and uh, she was shot down in the street. Her husband was was there he was lightly wounded but she was she was killed um, and um, that was incredibly hard for me also because my comrades did not quite understand my tears for an Afghan woman they could understand my tears for a soldier of our own but an Afghan woman that was a bit different and I realized then that they were as much my comrades as my my comrades in uniforms were. And I'd worked closely with this woman and I knew her, I knew a lot about her. And I knew a lot about her dreams and hopes for the future. So when she was killed, that was devastating. And, and I was also afraid that maybe I had put her in danger because I had supported her projects. Um, I had no clue who had killed her at that point, the Taliban, or maybe her family, because that's also sometimes the case that when a woman gains a lot of um, power and yeah. um, gains a lot of value in the community, she's, uh, she, gains, she gains power and not all the men will accept it. So for a while we, we weren't quite sure what had actually happened. And, that also makes me. That also makes me think, though, of um, of this absolutely incredible thing that Gulale said to you. Yes, the demonstration. Uh, about, yeah, about thanking you. Uh, yeah. You know, when she when she thanked you, uh, no, she asked you to thank the mothers. Yes. I thought that was so moving. Yes, it was very. Um, after Nagis had died, something incredible happened because um, basically the women in Gereshk uh, went, took to the streets and they made a silent demonstration. They walked through the streets and everybody interpreted that as some kind of um, demonstration that the women were set on not accepting this old-fashioned system where they have to be completely wiped out by the men. Um, so that was a bit of a turning point. And some time after this, that was the end of my first tour to Afghanistan. I've, I've been there twice. And when it was time for me to go back home to Denmark, Gulale asked to come and see me. And uh, it was a weird meeting because we were not talking about the next project or whatever we had to, to start up because I was not on my way home. But she, she said to me, 
When you go back to Denmark, I want you to say thank you to all the mothers who send the soldier out here to help us. I don't think the Danish women will ever fully understand what they have done for us, but they may understand something. So he was really grateful and that so was... So powerful. That is so powerful and so yes, moving. It is. That, that was the main reason that I decided to write this book, to tell something about what we and the Afghan women had been doing out there and to convey the thanks from Gulale and the other women to the mothers of the soldiers. That's yes. why I think I think every reader of this book will find it really, really engaging and powerful and beautiful. And um, I'm afraid that's all the time we have today. Mm -hmm. But I could talk on and on about this book with you and Catherine. Um, it was a really moving experience to edit it, to read it, to publish it. I feel blessed to be a part of this process, bringing the story out in English. Um, in some small way. And, Thank um, you so much. <laughs> and for everybody listening in, the book is called The Women's War, A Female Soldier's Account of a Time in Afghanistan, published by the Sage Yoda Joint Imprint. And it's published and it's available across all Sage uh, platforms. And of course, on Amazon, please do go and order your copy right away to read about this, 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 this heart-rendingly beautiful account of Anne Catherine's time in Afghanistan, powerful and also very, very informative, insightful, and a woman's perspective on, 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 on what happens in conflict zones and yes. how women can make a difference. I hope it will inspire you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Anne Catherine. Thank, thank you. you for listening and thank you for your kind time. Thank you.